Hello, everyone. I'm Chris Proctor, Director of Fixed Income at Alps Funds. Welcome to Avoiding the Crowds, our Muni Bond podcast series with Greg Steyer, Head of Municipal Fixed Income at Brown Brothers Harriman and Portfolio Manager for the Alps Intermediate Muni Bond ETF, ticker MNBD. Welcome back, Greg. On the last podcast, you discussed the general obligation sector. This time around, let's talk about revenue bonds. But before we begin, would you mind giving our audience a brief market update? Nice to be back with you, Chris. It's crazy to follow one of the worst quarters for muni bonds in the third quarter with one of the best in the fourth. Muni's had a breathtaking rally at the end of last year, but we're glad that some of the wind has been taken out of the sales of the market rally recently. It's much easier to understand the need to fine-tune Fed policy because of the progress that they've made on inflation, but pricing in an all-out easing cycle is a different story. But looking back, great opportunity hunting in the first part of the fourth quarter and great returns in the second part. There was something for everyone. Thanks for the update, Greg. So let's jump right into revenue bonds. Sure thing. Revenue bonds are near and dear to our hearts and comprise the vast majority of our portfolios. Last podcast, we defined general obligation bonds, or GOs, as securities issued by state and local governments. Revenue bonds basically represent everything else. And that could mean a wide variety of things. There are over a dozen sectors that issue revenue bonds. We own securities issued for airports, hospitals, universities, water sewer systems, highways, and our favorite in recent years, affordable housing. We are literally surrounded by projects that were financed with revenue bonds. Hmm, so they can they can make a revenue bond out of just about anything, huh? But what's what's the craziest example you can think of? Oh my, so many come to mind. We've seen muni bonds issued to build water parks, shopping malls, golf courses, and my own personal favorite, hockey rinks in the desert. Those usually don't make for good credits. When we invest, we want bonds that finance essential services or critical infrastructure. These projects obviously wouldn't qualify. <laughs> you told me this was a quirky sector, but now I see why. Um, okay. On the last podcast, you hinted at a preference toward revenue bonds over GO bonds, though. Is that, is that right? Yes, that's right. And there are two main reasons. The first is that household investors who, who own the majority of the muni market have a strong preference for general obligation bonds, especially from within their home state. As a result, we often find that we can earn higher yields for revenue bonds of comparable quality because of this preference. Why do you think they have this preference? I think that the GEOs are basically considered the gold standard in munis. They're viewed as safe, easily understood, where you need very little credit or structural homework. But as we discussed the last time, that's, that's far from the case. Right. Th thanks. And your second reason for preferring revenue bonds? The second reason is that revenue bonds often come with a range of investor protections or creditor protections that you typically don't find in GEOs. These include covenants, debt service reserve funds, often a protected flow of funds. A, a flow of funds is jargon for how a money moves in a transaction. It starts with the payment of taxes or fees all the way up to how the money ends up in MNBD. 
Together, these protections help mitigate credit risk. Very interesting. Uh, but for our listeners' benefit, do you have an example? Washington, D.C. income tax, I think, is, is a great example. It's, I know it's a personal favorite of, of one of our analysts. These bonds are backed by income tax collections from D.C. residents. Tax withholdings and payments flow immediately to an outside trustee who sets aside accrued debt service on our bonds. Only then will the trustee transfer what's left back to the government to help them pay for operations. So when we talk about a protected flow of funds, this, is, this has got a very strong one. Investors have the first right to the revenue stream. And further, to ensure that DC collects enough taxes to pay for debt service, the district has agreed to a two times rate covenant, which basically means that they have to make sure that there is at least twice the amount of tax revenues as debt service. And that prevents a new official from coming in and lowering taxes or tax rates to our detriment. Covenants? I thought covenants had disappeared. They basically have disappeared in the investment-grade corporate bond market. But in the muni market, no one really trusts the politicians. And this benefits us as bondholders. The strength of the revenue pledge combined with these covenants makes D.C. income tax bonds as strong as any GOs out there. Thank you, Greg. I can see why bondholders like these credit-specific protections. Is there a specific revenue bond sector you see more opportunities in? State housing finance authorities, we, we call them HFAs for short, have a major role in our portfolios. The mission of HFAs is to finance the purchase of safe and affordable housing for low to moderate income borrowers. HFAs issue muni debt that is used to provide mortgages. They then buy federal insurance for the vast majority of these mortgages. And as a result, these bonds are very high quality. Mortgages to low income buyers? That's giving me flashbacks to the financial crisis. Um, are these deals packed to the gills with subprime mortgages then? Fortunately, HFAs are not the, the churn and burn securitization machines that help lead to the financial crisis. These organizations employ real underwriting standards. The financings are usually for first-time home purchases. We're only investing in programs that meet our underwriting re requirements, which include strong balance sheets and loans with high levels of government insurance. Besides generally being rock-solid credit, then what makes this sector attractive? We view the investor base for HFAs as, as relatively narrow. Typically, HFAs are issued in smaller deal sizes, frequently under $100 million. And this impedes the ability of very large firms from developing meaningful positions. On the surface, these bonds don't look anything like the generic GEO bonds that household investors favor. And because they have a more limited investor base, HFAs offer higher yields, which today are around 4% for a five-year effective maturity. Are there any other sectors that have a big impact on your strategy? I think airports were a great story for us during the last couple of years. The sector was among the worst hit by the pandemic when airline travel nearly stopped for a few months. But the combination of generous federal aid and a strong rebound in consumer demand for travel has bolstered credit. 
After an abysmal start to the decade, 2023 now holds the record for the most U.S. air travel in a single year. So they are attractive because of credit. Well, remember, for us to invest, we need a durable credit and an attractive yield. Most municipal airport bonds are subject to the alternative minimum tax, the dreaded AMT. As I mentioned earlier, household investors have specific preferences, and avoiding the AMT is one of them. And this is a classic inefficiency within the muni market. The number of families subject to the AMT declined more than 90% because of 2017's tax reform. Despite the AMT's much smaller footprint, spreads for bonds that are subject to it are still elevated to this day. And we're grateful for this for this because it has allowed us to add strong airport credits at attractive levels. Good. Thank you for providing two solid examples, Greg. Uh, what about where you won't invest? Are there any revenue bond sectors you won't touch? We don't like to limit ourselves, but a sector that comes to mind is charter schools. We've had very limited participation in this sector over the past decade. Charter schools typically lack scale. They usually face tough competition. There's a basic problem with this sector, and that's bond maturities are often longer than charter authorizations, and this creates the risk that the state won't renew. Another sector we avoid is continuing care facilities. You could think of them as, as nursing homes. Like charter schools, they typically lack strong balance sheets. They suffer from fierce competition and struggled, they struggled mightily during the pandemic. It's, it's no surprise that a disproportionate number of defaults have originated from this sector over the past few years. Great. Thank you, Greg. Uh, before we close, do you have any advice to share for our listeners who may be new to municipal bond investing? Uh, sure. Bond investing is more than just buying the highest yield. If you're going to generate a strong long-term track record, you need to make sure that things don't go wrong along the way. Our clients don't hire us to speculate on credit. And one of the nicest aspects of the muni market is that you don't have to take extra credit risk to generate extra yield. And the revenue bond sector is the home to many of these opportunities. Greg, thank you, as always, for your insights. We can end on that very important last point you made. Your municipal bond strategy can earn extra yield without being forced to take on more credit or ratings risk. As a reminder, Greg Steyer is the portfolio manager for MNBD. You can learn more about this differentiated strategy and the Brown Brothers Harriman team at alpsfunds.com.